scripture reading is from Zechariah chapter 11, verse 1 through 17. This is God's word. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been felled. The sound of the wall of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions, for the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. Thus said the Lord my God, become shepherd of the flock, doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them, slaughter them and go unpunished. And those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor and each into the hand of his king. And they shall crush the land and I will deliver none from their hand. So I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. And I took two staffs, one I named Favor, the other I named Union. And I tended the sheep. In one month I destroyed the three shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. And I took my staff favor and I broke it, annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day, and the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out my wages, 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed, or seek the young, or heal the maimed, or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hooves. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye, and let his arm be wholly withered and his right eye utterly blinded. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. There's this bulky iPad here that's occupying the space. <laughs> Use this. All right. Well, good morning once again. Uh, always great to see a sanctuary filled and encouraged. I'm sure many of you have heard the saying before, uh, life is like a roll of toilet paper because the closer you get to the end, the faster it goes. Isn't that so true? Uh, personally, I cannot believe it's already the end of 2023. Uh, I mean, didn't the year just begin a few moments ago, is my personal feeling. I was taking some time to think through all that had taken place, actually, this, this past year. I love to do it. Uh, it's my year-end sort of uh, exercise, have a moment of reflection and also, you know, planning, looking ahead for the future. But I was actually surprised at how crazy this world was in 2023 and how Busy it was for us as a ministry, and I'm going to share some ministry highlights for us next week during our congregational meeting, uh, but for now, I just wanted to express how grateful I am to the Lord for sustaining our faith for another year and keeping all of us in his grace, and so praise God for that. Now, 
Today's chapter is one of the more difficult passages to interpret in the book of Zechariah. So don't expect me to explain every verse that we just read. For instance, I don't know who the three shepherds are in verse 8. I mean, there are all, all sorts of speculation on who they may be, but I'm not going to spend any time on trying to figure out who they are today. Okay, if you have any questions on the particular details of any text, just, just uh, ask Pastor Hugh. He loves tackling those details, okay? I don't. Um, today, I, wanna, I, wanna, I just want to make sure that we gain a better grasp of the things that can be clearly understood from this passage. And that, that is my basic approach when it comes to preaching, in case you didn't know, all right? Uh, now, I think the best way to understand this chapter is to view it as an oracle given to Zechariah much later in his life, right? possibly even a couple decades after the temple had been built and after God's people enjoyed at least some level of peace and prosperity right? after returning from exile and, and rebuilding the temple. And so I, I believe it's, it's a later date, okay? Because uh, if you look at the chapter, it's, it's extremely dark and depressing chapter, and it's quite frankly not a chapter that I was looking forward to preaching on this final day of the year, right? I mean, it's like, Happy New Year, guys. I mean, look, look, look at what's before us. What a depressing chapter. But, uh, and so, it's, it's, it's tough, right? It's tough for me, but um, I guarantee that the message will not end on a depressing note, Okay. But let's look first at how the chapter opens up. It opens up with a lament against Israel's shepherds, okay? In this context, you can think of Israel's shepherds to be its spiritual and political leaders, right? Um, and verse one, again, it's a lament. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars, right? It's crazy talk. Uh, wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has fallen. Okay, the ESV says felled. I don't, I don't like how the ESV uses this archaic language, actually. So I, I had a talk with our staff over our text uh, chat group saying, maybe we should consider changing from the ESV to the maybe a more readable translation. So I'll talk to your elders about that, but that's on my mind this year. <laughs> okay. But I want you to notice verse three, because uh, that's where we realize that this word of lament actually is meant to be for the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Right? Sound the wail of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined. And it also mentions the thicket of Jordan being ruined. And so you have you know, three locations that you mentioned here, but the, the basic point, let's not complicate things here, okay? The basic point is that just as these places, right, like Lebanon and Bashan and Jordan, just like they will lose their glory, so too Israel's shepherds will lose their glory when they face God's judgment. Therefore, right, leaders of Israel, wail and mourn, right, for your time is coming to an end. That's, that's the basic message as we open up this chapter. I mean, how bad do you think it has to get for God to declare judgment upon his leaders? It got pretty bad. 
Verse five gives us an idea of how bad things have gotten for them. If you look at verse five, it says, those who buy them, like purchase them, them here refers to sheep, okay, referring to God's people, those who buy them, and I, know, I learned that uh, them here is, is written in its feminine form, and scholars believe that this is meant to show us that these are referring to female sheep, right? Female sheep that are intended for breeding, not slaughter. And yet, what do we see? Those who buy them slaughter them, and they go unpunished. And those who sell them say, praise God, I've gotten rich, right? I've become rich, praise the Lord. This is their response. So their own shepherds, their own leaders have no pity on them. This is how the leaders are acting. So these, these verses, unfortunately, describe shepherds and leaders who neglect their basic duties of caring for their own people. Right? Instead of humbly sacrificing themselves in order to serve the people of God that God had entrusted to them, these leaders did what they could do to exploit people for personal gain. It's sad, right? We, we become so numb to this kind of leadership because we see it all around us all the time. It's become norm for us in our day, especially in the political and secular realm where our leaders become rich while the people under them suffer greatly. But let me remind you this morning that this is not how things are meant to be. At any level of leadership, leaders are called to love and care for the people under them. So what we first learn about the state of God's people is that the leaders have become extremely corrupt. Right? The shepherds have abdicated their responsibility and they've chosen to simply look out for themselves. And that's why God uses the expression here, the sheep are doomed to slaughter. They are doomed. They have no hope. It's like, what hope does a sheep really have if the shepherds who are supposed to protect the sheep from being killed by wolves are themselves slaughtering their own sheep? This is crazy. You would not accept, expect shepherds to be acting like this. I mean, but it's, it's what they're doing, and so therefore there's no hope for them. They're doomed to slaughter. But wait, maybe things will be different if God by his grace, gets rid of all the bad shepherds and replaces them with a good shepherd. Maybe then there could be hope, right? So what we see next is God asking Zechariah to play this scenario out. And so verse seven, it says, I, Zechariah, became the shepherd of the flock, doomed to be slaughtered, and I took two staves, one I named favor, right, mercy or grace, the other I named Union, and I, with these two staves, tended the sheep. I cared for them. I loved them. And so since there's now, finally, a good shepherd overseeing the flock with these two gracious staves, we should expect everyone now to live in peace and harmony, right? So you would think, but that's not how this plays out. Well, the, the people would at least have the wisdom and the respect, right, to their godly leader, right, and not, not tear them apart. And so you would think, but that's not how this plays out. You see, verse eight tells us, in one month, I, Zechariah, destroyed 
the three shepherds. In other words, I got rid of the bad shepherds. I enacted good laws, right? <laughs> I pursued justice. I offered mercy. That's what's being said here. But then it says, I became impatient with the sheep. And what's implied there were the sheep, they would continue to rebel. I became impatient with them. And guess what? They also, the sheep also, detested me in the end. Right? They hated me. They despised me. They rejected me. That's what's in view here. So what we learn from verse 8 is that the problem with God's people <clears throat> wasn't just in its shepherds. Because look, even if you take out all the bad shepherds and put in a good shepherd, what do you see? You, you, you still see turmoil. Which means not only were Israel's shepherds corrupt, but the sheep were corrupt as well. There's corruption everywhere. One commentator says this, I thought it was very insightful. It is often assumed that if a country were to find a ruler totally dedicated to the good of his people who would get rid or who would rid the land of injustice, peace and happiness would prevail. Right? That would be what you'd expect, right? But one insight we glean from Zechariah is that such a ruler would not only not be welcomed, but he would be positively hated and rejected. That's one thing we learned from this chapter. Because the people, they've lost all ability, ability to even discern what is good. They don't even know what's good anymore. This reminded me of what happened when, when I used to take um, my younger kids to eat out. You know, and I confess, the Bang family, we love to eat out, you know, even though things are pricey. So we eat out a little less these days, but I mean, I got five kids. When it's their birthday, we have to eat out. I mean, they expect it now. We spoil them. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're much better about this now, but, you know, they, they used to have us take them to, like, these nicer burger joints. Okay, I'm not sure if you would call Red Ramen a nice burger joint, but, you know, for our standards, pretty, you know, for their standards, let's say, not for my standards, but for their standards, it's pretty nice, okay? They're like, let's go to Red Robin, okay, great. All right, you gotta get some burgers. I mean, that's what I'm expecting, but no, right? For, for the earlier years, or during the earlier years, they would go, they would take us to these nicer burger places, and they would look at the menu, and they, they would choose to eat the dry chicken fingers, right? At a burger joint, right? They got juicy burgers, but they would choose the dry chicken fingers. And sometimes they would choose the cheap pizza, it's really not even pizza. It's probably fake cheese on it, right? Like, what is that? What are you eating, right? It's a burger joint. And so I would tell them, look, Joshua, Carissa, you need to know what's good. Right? You gotta know where we're at, right? You gotta learn what's good on the menu. You know, we may not be able to eat the best food all the time, but we should at least know what's good, right? You know, God's people were morally confused in our passage today, and they had lost all the ability, ability to even know what was good. And so they preferred to have their previous corrupt shepherds oversee them instead of the good shepherd that God had granted to them. And that's why God, in the end, he says, fine, right? you want your wicked shepherds? And he actually grants them their wish in the end. It's a picture of God giving his people over to their sin because they become so rebellious, as Romans 1 explains for us. You, you reject good, right? Are you sure? And so God remains patient, but then they continue to rebel. 
And so after a while, God says, okay then, I will give to you what your sinful hearts desire. Here are your corrupt leaders. This means, if you think about it, in the end, if the cycle plays out, leaders, our leaders, they reflect the character of the people that they're called to govern. That's what happens in the end, right? I'm not saying that good leaders cannot be, become corrupt on their own apart from the people, because they can, they surely do, but oftentimes, I will argue that it's the character of the people, the people themselves that enable and empower their leaders to act the way they do. It's like we, we, we want, like we vote, we vote our leaders in, especially in our country here. Like we want corruption to oversee us, right? to govern us. That's sort of what we're seeing. And that's what we see here in our chapter today. And so verse nine says, I will not be your shepherd. This is God removing his grace from his people. I will not be your shepherd. And Zechariah removed himself. And so what is to die, then let it die. What is to be destroyed, then let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. It's one of the darkest expressions in this chapter. And this actually played out in Israel's history. It was one of the darkest moments in their history. A good number of scholars believe that this horror was eventually realized when Jerusalem saw its destruction in AD 70 when the great powers of Rome descended upon this holy city of Jerusalem. There was a great humanitarian crisis that followed. And we learned from history that the situation got so bad that the Jewish people actually resorted to cannibalism. This actually played out where people were left to devour the flesh of one another. See, when God completely removes his staff of favor and unity from his people, this kind of horror is to be expected. Here's another example of human corruption that we see in this passage. Verse 12. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages. Right, this is Zechariah speaking. If not, keep them. Okay? And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Now, what makes this verse so interesting is that 30 pieces of silver was known to be the cost of a slave during the ancient times. In Exodus chapter 21, we read, if the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Basically saying, the price of a slave is 30 pieces of silver. Okay, so what value did God's people place on this good shepherd? Right, the godliest and the most just shepherd that they've ever had, well, they valued him as a slave and nothing more than that. Brothers and sisters, how much value do you place on a good tax accountant or a good doctor? I bet a lot. I bet you do whatever you can to find a good one because you know the value of each of them. 
Well, then ask yourself, how much value do you place on a good shepherd or a good pastor? Do you privately have a cheap attitude toward pastors and simply view them as your slaves? I hope not. We all need to understand the value of good shepherds. You see, if you meet a bad accountant, you will end up paying more taxes than you need to. What a tragedy, right? <laughs> That's not a good thought, right? Tax season coming up soon. I'm stressed. If you meet a bad doctor, yes, you will end up damaging your body. That's not a good thing. That's a tragedy as well. But if you meet a bad pastor, what happens? You will end up doing great damage to your soul, and it might affect you into eternity. So I asked you again, what value should you place or do you place on a good pastor? I thought that this would be a good point to introduce to you one of the greatest pastors who ever lived. And his name was Pastor Yangwon Son, okay? Uh, we'll just call him Pastor Son. In the new year, I, I told my staff already, uh, my, my, at least this resolution I have, I, I resolve to study my Korean church history a bit more this coming year. So you can expect me to introduce you to some of the uh, great historical figures uh, that you may have never heard before, right? And Pastor Son is one of them. He was known for dedicating his life to serve lepers in one of the mo uh, more obscure towns in Korea during the few decades the Japanese occupied the Korean Peninsula. So that would be the early to mid-1900s, okay? I mean, how many people are willing to serve lepers? Not many, right? There's a known story of how a, a nurse, a sad story, but it actually happened. A nurse, because uh, she was so anxious about serving lepers, she actually laid down several newspapers before she entered into the room where the lepers were, uh, you know, either lying down or sitting, waiting to be treated. She laid down a bunch of newspapers because she didn't want her feet to touch any area where the lepers were walking around, and so one of the lepers took great offense and struck her, and he unintentionally killed her. And hearing that story, Pastor Son approached that same leper. He prayed for him and cared for him by sucking the pus from his wounds. And by the way, he took off his shoes and just walked barefooted across the room. It's documented. And after learning that he had not contracted leprosy himself, he later expressed regret, stating that it would have made his ministry to the, lep to the lepers easier if he himself became like one of them. That's the kind of shepherd he was. Pastor Son was also known for refusing to bow down to the Shinto shrines during the Japanese occupation. There were many pastors in his presbytery, he was also a Presbyterian, a reformed one at that. There are many pastors uh, who are willing to clearly break the first and second commandments and compromise their faith, but he stood up and said, no, this cannot be. 
And as a result, Pastor Son was sentenced to prison in 1940. And he was supposed to serve a three-year sentence until 1943. And when he was expected to be released, his family, as any family would, they, they went to the prison uh, gates and w waited for him. And you can actually watch and listen to his daughter's testimony. She's now in her, I think, I believe, 80s. I think she's still alive, but there's a YouTube video of her. I might send it out to you just for your reference. Uh, they went out, and they're waiting and waiting until sundown, but he would not come out. And so they later found out that the Japanese officials gave him another chance to bow to the Shinto shrines before releasing him, but he was not diplomatic at all. <laughs> he responded with, I spent three years in prison for refusing to bow down to your shrines, and I would be a fool to surrender to you now. My faith is the same as it was three years ago. And maybe if he stopped there, it would have been fine, but no, he went on. He says, to agitate him even more, he said, History shows that all nations that worship idols eventually fall. Japan will be defeated. And if you know your history, you know that Japan was in war against the U.S. And so this angered the officials. And because of his, some would say stubbornness, but his unwillingness to compromise, he was given a life sentence on that day. Thankfully, the U.S. defeated Japan and in 1945, independence from Japan was declared, and so Pastor Son was released. But in 1948, see, things don't get easier for this man. In 1948, there was a communist uprising in Korea. In Korean, it's called the Yeosun Sakon. Yeosun is a lo locale. Sakon just means incident. And it's such an understatement. I don't know why they call it that. They should have used a bigger term because it was a, <laughs> it was a, it was a huge massacre. It was uh, a great tragedy. It wasn't just a small incident. There was this communist uprising that led to roughly 4,000 people being massacred by communist activists. And Pastor Son, he had six kids in total, but his two oldest sons were beaten severely and shot to death by one of their fellow students who was part of that movement. It's, it's, it was mainly driven by the young, you know, college crowd. It's like, I think, universal. It's the young, impressionable minds that get caught up in this ideology. They lose their way. But later, that young man who killed his two sons, he was captured, and he was sentenced to death by the Korean government. But Pastor Son, after hearing that the young man was greatly remorseful, requested that this murderer's life be spared, but not, he didn't stop there. This is crazy. This is where it gets really crazy. It's unbelievable. He requested that this man who murdered his two sons be adopted as his own son into his family. I mean, think about that. Let that sit <laughs> for a second. This is like otherworldly. I mean, is he, is he human? I, I had to do some extra research. I, I was so struck by this. 
I mean, I, I, I knew, his, knew of him before. I knew of his story vaguely, but I didn't know all the details. I had to get, I get more details about this, right? And so I found this. I found this prayer that he gave during the funeral of his two sons. It surprised everyone because it was a prayer of thanksgiving. Let me just read a, a few. I, I translated this myself, okay? I didn't use ChatGPT for this. I, I, this is like me translating it directly, okay? <laughs> First, thank you, God, for allowing two martyred sons to come out of the bloodline of a sinner such as me. Second, out of so many possible believers, thank you, Lord, for entrusting these two precious young men to me to be their fathers. Thirdly, thank you that I get to experience the blessing of offering my first two beautiful sons to you as martyrs. Fourthly, it is said that offering one son to you in martyrdom is a precious thing, but thank you that I get to offer you not only one, but two sons. I'll skip over a few. Sixth, they were preparing to study abroad in the U.S., but thank you that my heart is at greater peace in knowing that they're now at a much better place than America. And seven, thank you that the one who murdered my two sons is now repentant and forgiving me the heart to love him and adopt him as my own. The Korean War broke out in 1950, and when everyone was fleeing their towns, and I, I even heard stories of my own dad having to flee. Everyone fled to Busan, right? <laughs> uh, that was, you know, hopping on trains. It was such a chaotic scene. But Pastor Son, he refused to leave the lepers behind. And so he eventually died in the hands of the Communist Party. So I, I introduce Pastor Son to you as an example of a very good shepherd. I, I would say he's a great shepherd, one of, the, one of the best, one of the greatest shepherds who ever lived. And if you're wondering why there's so many Korean churches in the area, it's because <laughs> this is our heritage. The Korean church has been built upon such leaders. So we, we may think, though, that no one in their right mind would ever reject this kind of great shepherd as their pastor. Like no one in their right mind would value this kind of shepherd at 30 pieces of silver. But that's exactly what this chapter is telling us. I wonder how Pastor Sona would have handled the COVID years. That's my question. <laughs> As I was thinking about this pastor's legacy and uh, how, how he operated, you know, kind of thinking about how he, how he processed things. I mean, do, do you think really that he would have been nice to people after seeing people like staying at home for so many months? I believe that he's, he's the kind of pastor people would love in the beginning, but after a while, I'm convinced that he would be perceived as a disruptor of our comfortable lives, because he was such a principled man. I've read enough of him. I've heard enough where I know he's such a principled man. His daughter, 
if you re, uh, watch her testimony, <laughs> she was greatly disturbed. She fought against him. Father, how could you? You know, it's one thing to forgive a murderer. It's a totally different thing. Like, why do we have to adopt him into our family? This is, this is not right. And she refused to accept that reality. I mean, he, he asked her to go to where he was being sentenced to stop the sentencing. She was a messenger. She could have just not gone, but she was humble enough to obey her father's wishes. She was the messenger to, liber- to deliver that news. She did not welcome the idea at first. In fact, her testimony says she wanted to kill this piece of trash by her own hands. And imagine, you moms, what his wife had to go through. I tried to find out what her response was, but I, I could find no record on that. I'm still looking. Um, I, I, I texted a, a guy who knows his church history better, but there's no response. I'm still waiting. What about the wife? How does she respond? One point I'm trying to make is this. You know, we think that the problem is just with our leaders, right? And that if our leaders would just be godly, then they would be loved and respected by us and all would be well. But again, our passage tells us that actually not the case. Zechariah was a very good shepherd. But what do we see? We see he, he was despised, hated, and rejected. And of course, there's Jesus, right? There's Jesus, who was not just any good shepherd, but he was the good shepherd who could do no wrong, and yet, Isaiah 53 says he was despised and rejected by mankind. He was a man of suffering, a man familiar with pain. And when Jesus was put on trial before Pontius Pilate, don't you remember the people were given a choice between releasing the great shepherd, the God, the God-man Jesus who could do no wrong, whether they want to release Jesus or Barabbas, the the wicked man who deserved to perish for eternity. They had a choice. What did they choose? They chose Barabbas, just like the people chose their wicked leaders here in our chapter today. It's a repeat of history. It's because of who we are and our sinfulness. This kind of thing repeats itself over and over again throughout human history. Do you remember what value Judas placed on Jesus? It was 30 pieces of silver. Blinded by greed and selfish ambition, blinded by a life of comfort, he also greatly devalued Jesus. And we may think, how could he do that? I mean, it's actually hard to believe, right, given that he was one of the original 12 who had seen the best of Jesus in such close proximity. But I thought about it more. Like whenever we compromise our own faith, whenever we choose to sin and live in disobedience, aren't we essentially doing the same thing? Aren't we devaluing Christ? Aren't we despising our good shepherd as well? So brothers and sisters, the good news for us today is not that we're good, Not that we're all right. The good news for us today is that Jesus is 
a far greater shepherd than any human shepherd who ever lived. See, Zechariah, he got fed up with people. After a while, he left. He's like, I'm done with this. Pastor Son, he, he gave up his life for his people, yes, but his death had no power to save. The best he could do was to point to the true Savior in Jesus Christ. And though Jesus was valued at 30 pieces of silver by the people he came to save, the price he paid for our redemption was not in any measure of silver or gold, but it was through his own precious blood. And unlike the blood of, of godly yet flawed men, his blood actually has a power to cleanse us from our sin. And Pastor Stone would have said the same thing. Pastor Stone was a great shepherd, but guess what? Jesus is a far greater shepherd. Brothers and sisters, let me wrap the message up here. And you, you gotta understand as we enter into the new year, you gotta understand the fallen human condition. We, we need a savior much more than we think. And I, I hope this message sinks in. I, I hope that you know, I, was, I spent the majority of time trying to convince you that people, whether it's the leaders or the people themselves, we are so corrupt. And apart from grace, all we can do is drift farther and farther away from the Lord, from truth, from beauty, from grace. And it's only when you, you see yourself as truly broken and sinful can you begin to appreciate the grace offered to you in Christ. So acknowledge your need for a savior. Please do not devalue Christ in this new year. He is worth far more than silver or gold. Judas was tormented by his own guilt and it led himself to death. Right? He hanged himself, as you know. But instead of being driven to death by your guilt, may your guilt lead you to repent and believe in the one who is able to save you. And in this new year, I ask that you recommit yourselves to the Lord and that you would continue to trust and obey him as your good shepherd. Do not take him for granted as you're prone to do. Now is a good time to recommit. At the end of, at the end of each year, uh, most of you know should know by now that I, I love to work through a, a resolution checklist. Okay, I, I forgot to send it out this year. I apologize. I might just do that tonight sometime. Uh, but you should have the template from the years prior. I think I sent it out pretty much every year for the past few years. Um, I love to do it, though, because it allows me to reflect upon the past year, put things in perspective, and then it, it gives me time to reprioritize my life so that my priorities would be aligned with the Lord once again. Because right? if I didn't do that, guess what I'd be doing? I'd be binge-watching TV shows and movies, just like a lot of other people. So brothers and sisters, let's start off the new year with our hearts fully anchored in the Lord who is the good shepherd, right? the one who did not abandon us but laid down his very life for us so we could forever know him and love him. Amen? Happy New Year. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for reminding us of the brokenness of humanity 
and the hope found in the Good Shepherd. In response, we want to fully acknowledge our need for a Savior, recognizing that without you, we are truly like sheep doomed to slaughter. As we step into the new year, we pray for humility and wisdom to place our full trust in you. Help us to value Christ above all else and to allow your word to govern our hearts and minds minds in this new year. In the precious name of Jesus, our good shepherd, we pray. Amen. We'll stand together. We praise to God.